Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through verse 52, as we continue walking our way through Mark's Gospel together. If you are new to North River Church, we are so glad that you are here as we gather each week. We open God's Word together, and we trust that He will speak to us through His Word each morning as we gather to worship Him. As we prepare to do that this morning, the message is entitled, The Humble Servant. I want to ask you this question as we prepare to dive into the text. Who is the most humble person that you know? Who is the most humble person that you know? If your mind immediately went to, I think I'm pretty humble. You missed it entirely this morning. I know for me, my great-grandfather was probably the most humble person that I ever knew. Uh, He had only a fifth-grade education. He was a farmer all of his life. Didn't have a whole lot, though I would say he had everything that all of us probably dream about. That is peace with God, peace with Man, it was amazing at his funeral at the end to hear people come up and simply share stories of how he impacted their lives, stories that he had never told anyone. He was a humble man. You know, what's wrong with the world in which we live today is that Humility, for the most part, is not praised at all. In fact, as we think about humility, it's probably not on the top of anyone's list as they are looking to hire an employee. They want someone who's good at their job, but think about the fact that humility should be at the core of what we look at in someone else. I want us to take notice this morning as we prepare to look at the text that that will be the theme that we'll unpack this morning. What does it look like first for Jesus to be the humble servant, but then for us, remember, if we are followers of Jesus, what does it look like for us to be humble servants in this world in which we live? As you take notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write down these parallel passages and the other gospels that go along with Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through verse 52. You'll see those there on the screen, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through verse 34, Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through verse 43. I'd encourage you in your time with the Lord over the course of this next week to spend some time working through these two passages along with Mark's gospel to consider as we talk about what it means to be a humble servant. Reflect on that this week in your own time with the Lord. I want to read beginning in verse 32 of Mark chapter 10. I just want to read the first section there through verse 34, and we will continue to walk through it over our time together this morning. But let's look at Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. This is God's word. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. 
and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in these verses this morning. It's this truth. The call to follow Jesus is a call to humble servanthood. The call to follow Jesus is a call to humble servanthood. Now, you may be thinking this morning, if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, Pastor, that sounds very similar to a message that you preached just a couple of weeks ago. And here's the thing. It is very similar to a message from a couple of weeks ago. You say, huh, I wonder why. And I think we have to ask the question, As we consider Jesus' ministry, as we consider his teaching, as we consider his life, as we consider Mark's account of Jesus' life and his ministry, isn't it interesting that he has stacked these stories of what it means to be a humble servant almost back-to-back in this gospel? And as we reflect on this, I think it's imperative for us as followers of Jesus to be reminded, one, of who Jesus is, but two, what Jesus has called us to be in this world in which we live, and that is to be humble servants. That is who Jesus is. Was And if we are going to follow Jesus, which is what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks together, it will look like us being humble servants. In fact, as we prepare to walk through the text this morning, I want to give you an insight as we begin. We're first going to talk about humility foretold in verses 32 through verse 34. Then humility explained in verses 35 through 45. And then lastly, humility demonstrated in verses 46 through verse 52. Let's look first at humility foretold, verses 32 through verse 34. We read that just a minute ago. And I want to call your attention to the fact that this is the third time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is going to give insight to what's coming. Jesus is going to lay out for his disciples, those who are following him, here's what you can expect as we move forward. This is what is coming. 
In fact, you may want to write this down. This is the third time, but go back to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through verse 33. That's the first time that Jesus foretells what's coming, that he will suffer, that he will be killed, that he will rise from the dead. He tells them again in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through verse 32, the same thing Jesus told them the first time. He tells them again a second time. I am going to suffer, I am going to die, I am going to rise from the dead after three days. If you remember after the first time, Peter called Jesus aside and rebuked him. And then the second time that Jesus foretells what's coming, if you remember his disciples totally lose sight of it and they're arguing among themselves which one of them is the greatest. Now, once again, Jesus foretells what is coming, what they should expect. We're in a season, as we celebrate Christmas, of traditions. How many of you have some type of Christmas Eve or Christmas Day tradition? You eat the same food, you open presents the same way, you do the same things, all of that. That was my childhood. I loved Christmas I loved Christmas Eve because my parents loved us and let us open a present on Christmas Eve, as all good parents should do, right? We woke up Christmas morning, we ate grits casserole. I'm from South Georgia, that is like manna from heaven. Just want to put that out there. I can give you the recipe, just let me know you'd like to see that. Traditions. We knew going in every Christmas Eve what to expect. We knew what was coming. And this is a moment for Jesus where he lays out for his disciples, once again, here's what's coming. In fact, notice the clear expectations that he lays out. First, he gives them a location. He says to them, we are heading to Jerusalem, and it is in Jerusalem that all of these things are going to take place. He tells them the means whereby this is going to happen. He says, I'm going to be delivered to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn me. And he gives them the method of how he would be killed. He says, they're going to turn me over to the Gentiles, that is the Roman government. They will mock and spit and flog me and ultimately kill me on a Roman cross. And then Jesus lays out for them that he will rise from the dead after three days. In fact, as you look at what's laid out that Jesus says he will endure, I don't know about you, but if you knew that was coming, you would probably not go to Jerusalem. And yet, Jesus is the suffering servant. The one who was humble enough to do what his father had sent him to do. Jesus is not reluctant in this mission. Jesus willingly is heading to Jerusalem knowing exactly what is going to take place. 
humility foretold. I want you to notice that Jesus not only foretells what's coming, but Jesus in verses 35 through verse 45 is going to explain very clearly for his disciples what humility actually looks like. Look with me in verse 35. I want to read through verse 45. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, They began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's fascinating on the back end of Jesus laying out for his disciples, here's what's going to come. This is what disciples you can expect. This is what we are going to Jerusalem to have take place. His disciples once again, church, once again, do not get it. They don't understand. They can't comprehend what Jesus is laying out for them. In fact, I want you to notice the request that's made. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to him and they said, we want you to do Jesus whatever we ask. You ever had your kids say that to you? I'm going to ask you something and you just have to say yes. That's basically what they say. What we find out too, this is fascinating, in Matthew's account of this is that their mom is actually the one who is leading the question. James and John. Mama boys, mama's involved in this. She's asking Jesus on their behalf. Any other mama boys in here? Go ahead, it's okay, raise your hand. There we go, There's, there we go, all right. In fact, Jesus responds and says, what do you want? And they said to him, grant us to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in your glory. Basically, his 
These two are saying to Jesus, we want the greatest positions of prominence when all of this stuff happens and you're a big deal. We want to be on your right and we want to be on your left. That's all we want, Jesus. It's interesting, in the midst of that, Jesus asks a very piercing question of the two of them. Did you see the question? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? In fact, their response is very flippant. Yes, we are able, but I want you to take notice of what Jesus is actually saying to them in this question. What is this cup that he's talking about? What is this baptism that he's talking about? Well, throughout the Old Testament, the cup that's referenced here would have been the cup of God's wrath against sin. And here's where the gospel comes into play for us to understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying his journey to Jerusalem, all that is going to take place and him laying his life down is in response to the fact that sinners need to be saved from their sin. That's you and that's me. That's the disciples that he's talking to right now. And Jesus is saying to them in this moment, what's coming is I am going to drink to the full, the full wrath of God against sin. And the baptism that he describes here is this baptism of death and this resurrection that he promises is going to take place. In fact, if you think about it, if you've watched baptism as we celebrated here at North River, one of the things that we do in doing that is we say that we are buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in new life in him. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this moment, to these two who are asking for these positions of prominence, Jesus is pointedly saying to them, you don't quite recognize what you are asking. In fact, he says to them, what's coming is that I am going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That is, pay the debt of sin that you owe. And that is, receive eternal life. In fact, Jesus is laying out for them this realization that apart from him, they have no hope. And can I remind us this morning, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, we too have no hope. Flippantly, his disciples respond, these to James and John, we are able. And Jesus says, and this has been understood in some ways a little bit differently than I think what's going on here. Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus says to these two, hey, 
what you've just said, though you may not quite understand it, you will experience what I am talking about here. But I want you to take notice. Both of them would experience persecution. Both of them would ultimately lose their lives as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I don't think that's what Jesus is pointing out in particular. I think what he's pointing out is that for every single person who trusts Jesus as their Savior, we are able to identify with Jesus both in the cup that is taken on our behalf and the baptism that Jesus talks about here. In fact, think about this. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as followers of Jesus, what we are celebrating is in fact what Jesus lays out for us here. What we are celebrating in the Lord's Supper is the fact that Jesus Christ, by laying down his life, by offering his blood as the propitiation for our sins, what we realize in that is that we are participating with both Jesus taking the wrath of God upon himself and his death and resurrection. So when Jesus says this to James and to John, we too can identify with them in this moment. I want you to know this morning, that is the great hope that we have as a result of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So listen, if you came in this morning, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You've not yet taken that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ came to this earth. The reason we celebrate Christmas for one reason. Not so that there's a great Christmas story, but ultimately so that he could lay his life down for you and for me. In fact, Jesus goes on to explain this. He says to them, it's not mine to grant who sits in my right hand or the left. Notice verse 41, the 10 heard it. That was the other disciples and they were indignant. There's that word again we talked about last week. They were big mad. They were furious that these two would try to sneak in and to ask Jesus to give them something that the others couldn't get. I see this play out with our two girls all the time. Especially when they're riding in the vehicle with just me or just my wife, as they're heading out, they realize in this moment someone gets to sit in the front seat. Shotgun, right? The first one to call it out gets to sit there. They're primarily concerned about themselves in that moment and their position and their prominence and where they get to sit in the vehicle. But notice, Jesus in verse 42 calls them to him, huddles up his disciples, and says to them, guys, hang on. And then he calls their attention to the Gentiles around them. And he says, look, you, you see what happens to the rulers of the Gentiles. They lord it over those that they are in charge over. But then he says, that should not be the case for you. In fact, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
Jesus, in fact, in this moment, takes the culture that they were very familiar with, and he holds it up, and he says, take a look. Look at this culture that you live in. People who are in positions of authority, they don't view their role as servant. They view their role as Lord over all. And they exercise their authority with that mindset. To which, take a step back. Can we just be honest with ourselves this morning? Isn't that the culture in which we live today? We could very much identify with this, right? We could look at this and go, we, we see that. We see that on display. In fact, you may be thinking in your mind right now, I'm, I can think of people in my life who are in positions of authority, and the way they exert that authority is not in a serving type way, but it's in a hard-fisted type way. Maybe you have a boss that's like that. Maybe you have friends that are like that. Maybe you got pulled over by a police officer and they treated you kind of in that way. But think about this. Jesus says to those who would follow him, that is not the way of Jesus. Which maybe for you this morning, you need to take an opportunity to look inward and ask that question of yourself. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are in authority, how do you use that authority that you have? Is it in the way that the Gentiles do here, lording it over people? Is it an iron fist in the moment? Parents, can I just encourage you in this? It is very easy. And I, I always said this when I was a kid and I heard my parents say, because I said so. I always said, I'll never say that as a parent. I always said that. I have failed at that. Oh, you kidding me. But think about that. As a parent, how, how do you exercise your authority over your kids? Do you do it in a way that is loving, in a way that is serving? Husbands, what about in the home? If you are the head of the home, as God's word teaches, how do you lead your family? Is it with an iron fist or is it in serving? Maybe you're the boss at your job. You have people who work for you. How do you treat them? Do you view as a follower of Jesus your role as a servant in that situation. You say, well, I mean, how does that actually work out? Watch this. Notice verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus holds up for his disciples. Here's what the world looks like around you. You know what that looks like. You got to be different than that. You should look different than that. And then Jesus holds up for them himself in this moment and says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. In fact, when Jesus says this, the undercurrent that's flowing underneath this is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
He is the long-awaited Messiah. Remember, that's Mark's aim throughout the entire gospel, is to point us to that truth. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man, took on flesh and came to this earth. And so in this moment, the undercurrent that's flowing is Jesus saying, I have every single right to rule with an iron fist. I have every single right to be praised because I am the son of God. I have every single right for everyone to bow in my presence. I have every single right for everyone to look at me and recognize how great and how magnificent and wonderful I am. But notice he says, but I came to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I'd encourage you to write down this reference, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through verse 8. I want to encourage you over this next week as you prepare for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, reflect on these verses. Listen what Paul writes. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, church, the Christmas story at its core, is a story of humble servanthood. That's what it is. Jesus came as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Which I think the question that lays before us as followers of Jesus this morning is do we have that type of mentality? Do we see what Jesus is saying here and look at our own lives and say, I need the mentality of a servant, one who is humble, not one who is approaching every situation with what's in it for me and how can I benefit, but how can I enter into this situation and how can I serve and how can I lay my life down for others in this moment? I want to encourage you over this next week to approach as a follower of Jesus every single moment that the Lord gives you in this way. Approach life over the next week. Ask yourself this question, how can I humbly serve in this moment? Let me tell you how much of an impact that makes in this world in which we live. 
How much of an impact if you woke up and your feet hit the floor and you started thinking, how, how can I serve my spouse today? How can I serve my kids today? You go to the grocery store and you're ready to check out and there's someone who, who got there just a little bit quicker than you did and instead of trying to elbow your way in, you say, why don't you go ahead of me? Or as you're on the interstate heading to work, amen or ouch, someone cuts you off instead of laying on the horn, you just think, well, I'm glad I got to serve them today. Give them a spot ahead of me, right? I mean, think about that. What, what would life look like if followers of Jesus approached every single moment of every single day like that? In fact, notice that Jesus demonstrates this beginning in verse 46, going down through verse 52. Watch this. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus leaving the city of Jericho again on the heels of telling his disciples, here's what's coming, on the heels of saying to them, here's what it looks like to serve and here's what your life should look like. Jesus leaving Jericho has this beggar who's blind, calling out to him. And this was an opportunity for Jesus simply to keep going. And yet Jesus stops and he calls this man to him and he says to him, what do you want? And the man says, I just want to see. I just want to see. And in that moment, Jesus heals him. And the man follows Jesus from that point forward. In fact, when you look at what he says, he calls him son of David. There's a very clear recognition, understanding that this man knows who Jesus is. He knows that he's the Messiah. He knows that he's the son of God. And in this moment, it's a beautiful reminder for us that Jesus takes time in this moment to heal a man that if you notice, everyone else said, would you just shut up? Would you just quit calling out to Jesus? Would you just stop? 
He was on the bottom rungs of society. And yet the humble servant Jesus met him right where he was. Gave him his sight. And the man followed Jesus. I want to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads with me this morning. Maybe you've come in today, and for you, you are not yet a follower of Jesus. You've never taken that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior. But you've heard this morning the truth of who Jesus is and why he came. He came to lay his life down as a ransom for sinners. For you, for me. And you have an opportunity this morning to, by faith, trust him alone for your salvation. That's a step that you need to take. We would encourage you to take that step today. Maybe you've come in already as a follower of Jesus this morning. And it's been made clear that the call to follow Jesus is a call to humble servanthood. And maybe this morning the Lord has spoken to you through his word. The Holy Spirit has been at work in your heart, convicting you of sin, pointing out areas in your life where you are, you are less than a servant. In fact, maybe it's all about you. And this is an opportunity to allow the word of God to bring conviction and to respond in repentance this morning. Imagine with me, church, followers of Jesus who approach life asking the question, how can I humbly serve today? Father, we thank you for your word. We ask this morning that you would work in our hearts and our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you join us as we sing? Our altar is open this morning. If you need to spend some time in prayer, I invite you to come. If you need to respond by faith, trusting Jesus as your Savior, you come as well.